Our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans 6. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. Romans 6. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 14. And we welcome you visitors to the church today. And we're going straight through this book of Romans. And you've joined us as we've come to this particular section of scripture. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. I'll point out a couple of things as we read the scriptures this morning. You'll notice how verse 11 starts out, even so, consider yourselves. So that really points back to the fact that we have been calculated as dead in Adam and justified and calculated as righteous in Jesus Christ. We've been identified with him, linked with him, everything that he did on that cross and his death, burial, and resurrection by the Spirit of God. So even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. I want to point out that word instruments for a minute. It's opla in the original language, opla. It's a particular word that actually refers to a military type of weaponry. So we're talking here about military warfare. I mean, we're talking about being in a warfare. And that's the language that Paul is using here when he says, don't go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments, as warfare instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments, warfare instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning and to the exposition of it later. Will you join me, please, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we bow before thee today to say thank you for the fact that you are God and you are our God. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for everything you've given to us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace. We realize, Lord, even reading a passage like this, that we're in a fierce battle here. We're in a battle with the world, the flesh, the devil, and we thank you that you're God and you're the victor. We pray that you would help us to display in our lives practically what you've done for us positionally. We would ask that each one of us would reflect more and more of the righteousness of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And as we launch into this new year, we ask that you will continue to give us victory, that you would grant us victory in life and victory in everything that we face. Grant great God-honoring victories to occur in government. We pray that you would sovereignly intervene and cause God-honoring decisions to be made at that level. We pray that you would grant victory in our courts. We pray that there would be just, true, right decisions that will be meted out at the court level. We pray that you would grant great victory to our economy, Lord. I pray that you would allow your people to flourish this year, especially those that honor you and love you. Grant victory, Lord, in the minds and hearts and lives of all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Take us to new levels in our development. And we also would pray that you would grant great victory here to the church. We realize, Lord, that we are in a war, as this passage points out. It's a battle. And I pray that you would just continue to bless this church, bless all churches that are promoting reverent worship and careful study of your precious word. Lord, we want to bring some of our family members before you today. We pray for 
Molly and the Elf and our family, Lord, and we pray that you would just draw yourself near to them and minister to them, grant them peace and comfort. As Molly's mom has gone into eternity, we just pray that you would give them supernatural peace that passes human understanding. We want to pray for Mohovius, Lord, that they would be able to discover what's causing this internal bleeding and they would be able to resolve it. We pray for him. We pray for others, Lord, who have needs who perhaps we're not even aware of. We pray for those who need employment. We pray you grant them that. We pray for those who need healing, that you would grant them that great grace. We pray that those who are depressed, that you'd give them encouragement. Perhaps to those who've fallen spiritually this week, give them restoration, Lord. And if there are those that are lost here, we pray that you would give them salvation. Grant us all thy growth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Most people have a favorite sport, maybe baseball, football, basketball, hockey, running, auto racing, golf, swimming, tennis. There's a new sport called pickleball. I initially thought that was a game where you threw dill pickles at opponents in some type of dodgeball competition, but that turned out not to be right. When I was back in high school, my best sport was baseball. I played varsity baseball for three years, was a pretty good fastball hitter. In fact, after high school, I played city ball here for a while in Kalamazoo. And the reason I bring this up is because every year I look forward to baseball playoffs. I like watching them. Mary will tell you during baseball playoffs, there's at least one game on, maybe two games on every night. Probably is a flesh problem I have. But I'm admitting it to you and confessing it to all of you so you can pray for me about that. (laughs) Now, what amazes me about baseball playoffs or any other type of playoff is how we identify with the team. Fact of the matter is, those that have never even sometimes played the sport really identify with the team. Those who've never been on a football field identify with a football team. Those who've never sat in a NASCAR identify with the car racers and identify with the track. They identify themselves with that. It becomes very emotional. And if someone happens to win, you kind of share in that. And if someone happens to lose that was your favorite team, you kind of are depressed about that. We get to a point in some of this stuff where we view the team's victory as kind of our victory. We view the team's win as our win. We view their success as our success, and their championship is our championship. I have three different Houston Astro hats right now because I'm a Houston Astro fan. I have their division hat. I have their World Series championship hat. And I have another lightweight hat that also is a Houston Astros hat. I mean, we kind of share in that. This kind of mental and emotional connection and identification is exactly, exactly what is needed by the people of God when it comes to us having victory over sin. Since we all have a flesh and since we're all sinners, what's the key to victory? How do we have victory over sin? How do we defeat it? How do we beat this opponent and become champions for the Lord? Well, if you look at most religious people, they've come up with all kinds of tricks and gimmicks to try to tell you this will give you the real victory you're looking for. One of them is, let's go forward in the service. Here's what we'll do. At the end of the service, we'll have Madeline play music softly, and everybody will be standing, and we'll ask people to come forward. What we'll tell people is, if you come forward and you really commit your life to the Lord, you'll go out and be victorious. But that won't work. And you may come forward, and you may really have an emotional experience, but it won't be too long till you'll be back out there, and, and you'll discover that didn't work. Another group of people will say, well, deprive yourself from enjoyable things. Live like an ascetic. Try to just hide out and never enjoy anything that's enjoyable. That won't do it either. 
Another group will say to you, well, isolate yourself from the world. Live like some hermit. Never get around people. Don't go around places or things that perhaps could in some way pollute you. That won't work. Another group says, keep your laws and legalistic rules. We've got them. Here's our list of regulations. You follow them, boy, and you'll have some victory over sin, and you'll discover that won't work either. Another group says, just don't admit you sin. Just try to ignore it and just hope it goes away, and that won't work. And another group says, well, have your monthly meetings. Get together with people that struggle with the same kind of stuff that you struggle with. Have a big group therapy session. Rehash your problems over and over again, and none of that will work. None of that will give any one of us one ounce of victory over sin. That's not my opinion. That's what Paul writes right here. Paul says, hey, you want victory over sin? Don't focus on you and your sin. Focus on your Savior. Keep your sights on him. The greatest theologian of the first century was the Apostle Paul. He had been personally taught the gospel by Jesus Christ himself. And when you look at Romans 6.11, it's very clear that God and Paul wants us to understand a critical key to your victory is you calculate that. You consider that. You consider Jesus Christ. Don't be focusing on you and your failures and your flesh and your sin. You focus on him. In fact, what he writes here is the key to a believer having victory over sin is to mentally consider the positional identification that we have with Jesus Christ by the grace of God. There's your key. There's your key. Let your mind roll to a focus on Jesus Christ and our identification with Jesus Christ, and you'll discover you start having more and more victory. God wants us to identify with him, see. He's our champion. We're not. He's our Savior. We're not. He's victorious. We're not. So the more we're identifying ourselves with him, the more victory we're going to have. And he lays that out here. There are two critical keys to having victory over sin that he clearly develops in these verses. And the first one is carefully calculate and identify yourself with your position in Christ. Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, most people go into churches and think doctrine's not important. We don't need our doctrine class that we teach here every Sunday at 9 a.m. We're interested in practical stuff. Let me tell you something. Without doctrine, you won't have practical victory. It's the key to your Christian life. Knowing doctrine, knowing the things that are true when it comes to theology, are critical to a development that pleases the Lord. It's critical to victory in the Christian life. And the first key to victory is use your mind... To identify yourself with Jesus Christ. He's our eternal champion. Identify with him. And you'll notice how it begins in verse 11. Even so. Even so. That adverb is critical. Because God says, I want you to think about yourself in the same way that he thinks about us in light of linking us to his son. Even so you think that way. How he linked you to his son and everything that he accomplished for you. How he has given you this new status in your relationship with him. I want you to think that way because that's the truth. Jesus Christ went to the cross, took our sin with him. He died. He took our condemnation with him. He arose. We arose with him with a new life. And we have a new status with God. And Paul says, you think about that if you want victory over sin. Let your mind go there. In fact, he says, consider that. Even so, consider 
And that's an interesting verb, logizomai. It's the verb from which we get our English word logistics and logarithm. In other words, we're talking here about mental, careful calculation. We're talking here about thinking. Paul's basically saying, you want the key to victory here? Here it is. Let your mind think about the connection that you have to Jesus Christ. And this particular word of thinking is a word that has to do with logical mental action. Literally calculate yourself, consider yourself, count yourself, compute yourself with Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say, feel like you're dead to sin, because quite frankly, you're never going to feel like you're dead to sin. He said, think that you're dead to sin, calculate that you're dead to sin, that's the key. What God wants us to do is carefully calculate the fact that Jesus Christ has positionally set us free from our Adamic condemnatory sin. He's given us a new life, a new position in Jesus Christ by his grace. We've been totally and completely identified with Jesus Christ. He's our victory. He's the key to victory. He is the one who died for us. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His status with the Father is our status with the Father. And the fact of the matter is, the more we think in those terms, you'll discover the more victory you're having. And Paul is quick to point out here that we are dead to sin and we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. He doesn't say we are dead to sin, but consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself to be that way. And people are confused about this. People do not understand this, which is why a lot of them spend their whole life spinning their wheels. Now, people say, well, what does it mean to consider ourselves dead to sin? Does that mean we have the responsibility to die to sin? It has nothing to do with our responsibility. Some say, well, does this mean we must die to sin and never sin again? We have a sin nature and it's going to sin. Like it or not, it's going to sin. Does this mean we just ignore our sin and don't see ourselves as a sinner? That's living a lie. Does this mean we're dead to sin? Does it mean our sin nature is eradicated? That's delusional because that's not true. Does it mean that we're dead as long as sin is not dominating us? Well, that's nice and it shouldn't be dominating us. We'll get into that in just a minute. But this is talking about something that's past. Consider yourself dead to sin. Does this mean that as long as I think I'm dead to sin, I am? That's deranged theology. What this actually means is we begin to have victory over sin when we carefully begin to calculate in our minds, with our brains, what it is that Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. He went to that cross, he took our sin with him. He went to that cross and took our eternal condemnation with him. And when we believe in him, we're so identified with him, we're so linked with him by the grace of God that we're now living in a life relationship that's continually alive in a relationship with God. Now you start thinking about that. Let your mind go there. You start thinking about this identification that you have with Jesus Christ that gives you this new life relationship with God, and that is a big key to us having victory over sin. Because Paul says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's this very careful thinking and calculation and computation that's the key to this. And then he says in verse 12, therefore, therefore. That little conjunction is a conjunction that expresses simple sequence. So 
Verse 12 introduces us to what's next in the sequence of us having victory over sin. Careful calculation is going to lead to careful thought and careful examination and careful selection. Which brings us to the second key. Carefully make practical choices that are consistent with that grace status. Verses 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. There are three practical choices that we are to continually and habitually make in this matter of having victory over sin as we calculate ourselves, identify ourselves with what Jesus Christ has done for us. And the first one, we are to make a choice not to continually let sin reign in our bodies. Now understand this. You can have a great identification with Jesus Christ and be guaranteed everlasting life. And if you let sin dominate your life, it can dominate you until you get out of the body. The potential's there. You can't change the fact that you will never face condemnation because if you believed in Jesus Christ, that's the whole point of this. You've been buried with him and you've been raised up with him into a new life. But it can end up dominating your body till you get out of the body, and you don't want that. You don't want sin dominating your body when you already know you've been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin never dominated his body. We've identified with him. Now, this statement can only be made to a believer. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, because for the unbeliever, they cannot stop being in the state of sin because they are alive to sin. They're not dead to it. So the only challenge that can be made to a believer is don't let sin reign in your mortal body because for an unbeliever, that's all that does reign in their mortal body. Sin reigns in the way they think. Sin reigns in what they do. Sin reigns in the way that they are. But for the believer, there's another option. And the option for the believer is sin will not reign over them. So we must always be alert to sin approaching us in our body and in our lives, and we need to continually attack it via honest recognition and confession. We should make certain that there's no sin continually dominating us or reigning over us. And that word reign is one that refers to something that rules over us. This word is a word that has to do with a king that has total authority over a kingdom. And the particular verb that's used here is present tense with a negative prohibition, which is interesting because Paul's basically saying this was action that was involved in some of these believers that needed to be stopped. Look, as long as we're here in this mortal body, we're in war. We're in combat against sin dominating us. Don't kid yourself. We are at war, and we are up against a sin principle that wants to dominate you. I watched an old western. I'm particularly interested when I see horses that have pack saddles on them. And I particularly look for the knots they use to tie on those pack saddles. The most famous knot, the one that we used to use all the time when we'd haul elk quarters out of the mountains, was the basket hitch. And then there's a diamond hitch if you want to haul things like a 
metal container, you'd use a diamond hitch knot, but a basket hitch knot is the one that's typically used. And it brought back, as I looked at this and I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I remember being in those mountains with those horses and I would tie that basket hitch knot and I've got elk quarters loaded on that horse and I'm leading that horse out and I'm always aware of the fact I'm in dangerous grizzly country here. Thought was never out of my mind. Always realizing I'm in dangerous grizzly country here. You have to stay alert because this animal is packing something they'd like to get their hands on or their teeth into. And so as a result, I was constantly on guard. That's what God's saying here. Look, you are living in a mortal body. And your mortal body is living here until we have the privilege of going home to be in the Lord. But you need to be alert because there's something that's, you're walking in a dangerous world. And that dangerous world is out to get you. That dangerous world is out to reign over you. It wants control of you. It wants control of your life. And Paul is challenging the believers here, don't let sin from this world continually dominate you. You've been forever identified with Jesus Christ, so don't allow sin to reign over your mortal body. And that's the area where it's going to go after. It's going to go after your mortal body. can't go after your immortal soul because your immortal soul's already been linked to Jesus Christ and everything he did on the cross. But it's going to go after your mortal body. But sin can potentially dominate and reign over your mortal body. It wants to have total authority over you as long as you're in this body. And it has a strong appeal to this flesh body. Don't kid yourself. That sin principle strongly appeals to a believer who's alive unto God. And sin's out to get you. This sin is out to control you. It wants to dominate your life. It wants to take charge of you. And the way it will attack you, according to verse 12, is through various lusts. In fact, it's interesting that the word lust is plural. So it's not just one lust. But the text says this sin principle will try to reign over your mortal body through obey all kinds of lusts. I mean, there's a lust for power. There's a lust for pleasure. There's a lust for position, for possessions, for prosperity. I mean, you don't want to spend your whole life being ruled by your lusts. And then get out of the body and go home to be with the Lord. You just don't want that. You don't want lust dominating your mortal body. So Paul says, you need to consider your position in Jesus Christ and stay alert to the fact that you don't allow the lust to dominate and rule and reign over you. Now, there's no such thing as anyone who reaches sinless perfectionism as long as we're in this mortal body. This is where these people that say you can reach sinless perfectionism are just delusional. They obviously either A, don't read the Bible, or B, they're not honest with themselves. The fact of the matter is, as long as we are in this mortal body, we are in war. We need to be realizing we're in a warfare. But there's nobody going to reach sinless perfectionism because of what Scripture says. First Kings says, when they sinned against you, for there's no man who does not sin. Psalm 14.3, there's no one who does good, not even one. Proverbs 29, who can say I've cleansed my heart, I'm pure from my sin. Second Chronicles 6.36, for there's no man who does not sin. Psalm 143, 2, and do not enter into judgment with thy servant. Here's a servant of God. Do not enter into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many ways. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Nobody's perfect. 
In fact, one of the great promoters for godliness is knowledge of that reality. I mean, one of the great promoters of godliness is to realize, you know, I have the potential of godlessness. And by the way, don't let that argument, nobody's perfect, become your argument that you use as a crutch for your choices. You know, sometimes somebody will make wrong, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's right, nobody is perfect. But the point here is you're in combat, you're in war yourself, and you don't want to be allowing some lustful thing to be dominating your life or mind. You don't want that at all. And the fact of the matter is we need to be people who are on guard, and we need to not let sin rule over our mortal bodies. And what Paul is addressing here is their potential is there. In fact, apparently some of the Romans were actually doing this, which is why he says you need to stop it. Stop making choices that will put you in a situation in which sin can dominate your life. Get away from things like that. Stay clear of them. Because you don't want someone who's been identified with Jesus Christ being dominated in their mortal body, so you just are obeying its lust like a little puppy following along. So there's the first point. The second choice is, You're to make a choice to continually, not continually, be involved in unrighteousness. Watch you to notice verse 13. And not only that, not only stop letting sin reign in your mortal body, don't go on presenting the members of your body as sin, as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, just because one has been positionally set free does not mean one has been practically set free. And quite honestly... There are many believers, I'm convinced, that don't understand this, and they're enslaved for years to things. And in fact, they may end up this way. I mean, if they don't get a handle on this and start applying these principles, they can actually be enslaved as long as they're in their mortal body. Paul says, don't continually present your members to things unrighteous. And the verb present is one that means don't continually allow yourself or make provisions for your mortal body to be involved in things that are unrighteous things. Stop putting yourself in a situation in which your flesh can fail. Stop putting yourself in a situation where your mortal body can be dominated by something that is ungodly. Specifically, what one is not to make unrighteous provisions for are the members of your body. That's what he says, the members of your body, which would include your mind, your eyes. It would include your ears, your hands. It would include your feet and your mouth. I mean, that's where it really starts, doesn't it? I mean, if sin's going to reign over us, it starts right there in the mind. I mean, that's where it all begins. That's where envy starts. That's where greed starts. That's where lust starts. That's where pride starts. Starts right there in the mind. Then from there, it can go to the eyes. People look at things they shouldn't be looking at. And from there, it can go to their ears. They're listening to stuff they shouldn't be listening to. I mean, it's not helpful for the things they're listening to. And then hands, they can end up doing things that are actually bad things. And their feet will take them there. Their feet will lead them right into the areas where they shouldn't be going, and then their mouth, they can say things, they can gossip, they can talk, and they can use their mouth to do all kinds of stuff. They can get drunk with their mouth. I mean, you know how it works. I mean, the sky's the limit out there what people have the capability of doing. And Paul is saying here, 
The key to victory over sin is you don't make provisions for the member of your body to get involved in those unrighteous things. In other words, don't make provisions for those things. If you have a lust for food, stop it. If you have a lust for alcohol, stop drinking. If you're addicted to porn, stop looking at it. Don't make any provisions for it. In other words, don't allow yourself to be dominated by something in your mortal body knowing that you've been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you need to do is allow your instruments, your members to become warriors. And it's a military term. You need to realize that my body is a weapon of warfare here. And my mind is a weapon of warfare that can be used for the glory of God, to think things for the glory of God. My eyes can be used as a weapon of warfare to focus on things that are God-honoring, and focus on things that are glorifying to the Lord. My ears can listen to things that are good things, godly things, good things in life. My hands can get involved in doing good things, not bad things, not evil things. My feet can take me places where God will be glorified and God will be honored and my mouth can communicate the great things of God. These are weapons we have here. That's the language here. These are weapons. Our members are weapons. And we need to use those members for the glory of God. There was a guy years ago in one of our ministries. He struggled with porn. And he came to my office one day and This guy, he'd gone to counselors, spent probably hundreds of dollars going to counselors. I just can't get victory. Just can't get victory. So he comes into my office and he lays this all out. I just can't get victory. I drive home and there's the movie place and I go in there and I rent porn. I said, oh, there's a simple way to victory. What is it? Don't drive home that way. And don't go in there. Don't go in a movie place without your wife. Never thought of that. (laughs) Simple solution, isn't it? Simple solution. You spot what you struggle with and you say, I'm not making provisions for that anymore. That's exactly what Paul's saying in this text. Don't make provisions for your flesh or for your mortal body. Now, I want to challenge you with a great New Year's challenge for the whole year. It's one that King David challenged himself with, and I'll give it to you. I'll set no unclean thing before my eyes. Man, you talk about discipline. I'll set no unclean things before my eyes. You want a great resolution? You purpose not to intentionally set anything before your eyes that's unclean or worthless. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, to accomplish this, you'll have to give careful thought and discipline to yourself. Because of my position in Jesus Christ, you take the position, I'm going to set no unclean, lustful thing before my eyes this whole year. I'm going to go through 2023, and I'm going to personally see to it that nothing unclean comes before my eyes. I can tell you right now, this is doable. It's doable. What you'll discover at the end of the year is, wow, what a year I had with God. And then you'll discover the next year, a whole lot easier. 
Because what you're doing here is you're realizing this is warfare. And I'm making a choice with my members to do things God-honoring. And the more you do that, the stronger you are. So Paul says, you want a key to victory, realize when you're in that mortal body, you're in war. And don't make provisions. Don't make provisions for any victory in the flesh. Then he says, make a choice to continually be involved in that which is righteous in verse 13. But instead of presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I want to point out what is stated there. Present yourself to God. I don't want to cause issues with any of you that have been through 12-step programs or AA. But here's the problem. The problem with those organizations is that God's whatever you want it to be. Or whatever you think you want. Whatever your God is, just think about that. That's not how this works, folks. We're talking here about presenting ourselves to the God of the Bible. There's the big problem. So total victory demands that. So someone who wants to be victorious in their life has to present themselves to God, realizing I'm identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. The more your mind thinks like this, the more victory you'll have. And the verb here is aorist tense, which means you need to make a point of time decision to present yourself to God in the context of not allowing yourself to be presenting your members as instruments of unrighteousness. You may make a, a point of time decision that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to present myself as an instrument of unrighteousness. I'm going to present myself as an instrument of God. And how do I do that? Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but you're under grace. Now, that's an odd thing, isn't it? Man, you'd say, that doesn't seem to fit there. I mean, you're talking about not presenting yourself, your mortal body, members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but you're presenting yourselves to God as alive from the dead, and then to throw in there this odd verse for you're not under law, but you're under grace. What is that? Paul says you need to understand your mind needs to go to grace to do this. You go to law, you go to legalism, you go to rules, you go to church traditions, and you try to accomplish it that way, it'll never work. It'll never work. The whole key to this is to realize what we have in grace. What we have in grace is a positional link to Jesus Christ. We are literally seen by God the Father as being connected to Jesus Christ. Everything we are, everything we have is linked to him. We are people who are in Christ. That's grace. And he said, when you're thinking like that, not under law, but you're thinking like that, you'll discover you're having victory. You are not presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but you are presenting yourselves to God 
as those alive from the dead. See, the key to victory here is you know this doctrine. You think about this great position that you have in Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, the more you let your mind go there, the more it's going to impact your choices. Just because we're under grace doesn't mean we're free from responsibility, but being under grace means we're free from the law. So we already have victory in Christ. We already have that. We already have the connection to God in Jesus Christ. We are eternally victorious in him. Now what Paul is saying here is live that out in your mortal body. Make decisions that reflect that in your mortal body as long as you're in it. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on your Savior. May we pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, settle it right now. Just invite him to come in and save you. For those who know the Lord, we're not going to ask any type of emotional response to this. You think about this. I mean, that's what Paul wanted the Romans to do. Carefully consider this. Consider this. See where it takes you in 2023. Father, thank you for your word. We'd ask the Holy Spirit to use the word to do a work in each of us, Lord. There's no question that when we talk about our minds and our eyes and our hands and our ears and our feet and our mouth that we have work to do. We have work to do. But I pray that that work will just be taking on new dimensions because we're having victory in a lot of areas. In Jesus' name, amen.